Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Yes, he does. Hallowed be his name. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and make your way to the gospel according to John. The very last chapter, chapter number 21. Everybody okay? Y'all got quiet, man. Y'all got right down to business, didn't you? I was um, over there telling Tina, I looked around for my Bible. I didn't see it. So I got a little nervous, skipped my heart, skipped a few beats. Uh, You may not know this about me, but after all these years, uh, this is my only source of material to preach from. You you follow with me? You can't use a farmer's almanac. I can't tell you a bunch of funny stories. This is all I got. But I've learned it's more than enough. But I get a little uneasy when I, when I don't have it right beside me. I always panic three or four times. But y'all don't realize that's happening every time we gather till I see it and have it in my hand. And uh, I hope that you love the Word of God. I hope for you that you give it the ultimate place of authority in your life. Um, it will transform. Can I just tell you that what God has recorded in His Word and empowered by His Spirit has transformed my life from the inside out and has made my life worth living. Can anybody else testify of that tonight you, or this morning? Would you say Amen. Amen. He's a magnificent Savior. So John chapter number 21, as you're making your way there, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 together, all right? And you're my late, where I call early worship, late worship. Now, I know when you got up this morning, you didn't think 10, 15 was late, but you are the late worship, which means I get to slow down a little bit, and aren't you glad? Somebody's going, man, why did we pick to visit at this worship time? We should have came early. And, uh, and so, but I'm thankful, and what I mean by that is oftentimes we'll, we'll have more baptism at this time because we're... We don't have another group rushing you out of here, okay? And so this morning, as we begin, before I read John 21, I want you to be reminded of what we have been going through lately as a family. And what we've been going through as a family, we went through the book of 1 Peter. Do you all remember that? Anybody have any recollection of 1 Peter? I hope so. We covered every verse of 1 Peter, and we did that as God brought us on a journey, learning how to approach life and difficulty and suffering in the context of having a living hope. And the living hope is not a list of rules, uh, do's and don'ts, but the living hope is a Savior, a personal Savior. And his name, if you know it, say it, is Jesus. And so we're, we're, we have a living hope. And as we look through that, we started Wednesday night into Second Peter. We covered the first four verses. And I wish I could tell you how many people have come to me and said, look, I'm reading ahead. Are we going on into Second Peter? And I told you Wednesday night, I don't have a clear word from God. So I didn't say yes or no on that. And so what God did with me this week is I had a couple of different, I was ready in, in, in Second Peter. I told Lance yesterday, he's my brother from, uh, from over in Alabama is visiting with us, took a Sunday off to worship with us. And uh, from pastoring, he and his wife and his wonderful children. And I told him, I said, I have, he said, he asked me yesterday, well, yesterday afternoon, I guess it was, what, what you got? I said, I'm not certain yet. I got two. So I'm having a, so I'm going to preach both. I'm just joking. Some of y'all are like, ah, we got to get out of here. <laughs> but anyhow, I settled on John 21. And here's why I believe God placed this on my heart. We've looked at the letter of First Peter. We've looked a little bit into the letter of Second Peter. But now I want us to look at the author. Who's the guy that God chose to write this letter of encouragement and instruction to believers who are struggling. Now, would you agree with me that if you're, if you're God and, you're, and you've got a group of your, your children down here on earth and they are in a specific, unique place of suffering like they were uh, in, in where, when he wrote the letter of 1 Peter, 
wouldn't you choose somebody special, somebody that you would want to really write and encourage them in the midst of that? Sure you would. So let's look at who this guy is. Who is Peter and what happened in his life? We've talked in generic terms of who he is, chicken little to bold lion, um, but today we're going to get a little more specific, okay? So if you have your Bible, John 21, I want us to pick up in verse number one, okay? And I want to invite you to stand on your feet with me in honor of reading God's word, okay? As you stand, if you have your phone with you, would you please put it on silent for me, all right? Now, if you don't, if you ignore me right now, when that duck call goes off in a minute or that turkey call, everybody in your neighborhood is going to look at you. And it's amazing how many, uh, that, that, the sound of that many heads turning at one time. I'm telling you, it'll just make your heart skip a beat. It's wonderful. And uh, so do that for me. Turn it on silent. And also, if you're on social media, I encourage you to be a missionary from your chair. And what I mean is you may not have ever left these seas. You may not have ever left uh, your, your house and gone over and, and lived the mission. But you can right now pray a simple prayer. God, put this in front of who needs to see it and then share it. I'm telling you, there are people out there in your circle of influence who have failed before and they desperately need this message in their hands. Okay? So would you just for a minute pray, Lord, put this in front of who needs to see it and then share it on Facebook for me, all right, so that uh, you'll be reaching people that I can't and that aren't in this room. All right, so let's dive in. John 21, beginning in verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, uh, and in, his, in this way, rather, he showed himself. Now, let me say this. Uh, this is after the resurrection, and these are during that 40 days of time that Jesus was still on the earth before the ascension, okay? And so he's showing himself again, picking up in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were all together. Simon Peter said to the group, I'm going fishing. How many of y'all would have been, yes, let's do it? Right? It's always a good time to go fishing. And they said back to him, we're going with you, huh? They said, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught, isn't that your favorite fishing trips? We call it getting skunked. Number four, verse number four. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And they answered him, no, we didn't catch nothing. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, now don't you love the way John referred to himself? Uh, he's the author writing this letter, and he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And he said to Peter, so John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come. And eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said back to him, Feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Simon Peter said back to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said back to him, tend my sheep. And finally, verse 17, he said back to Peter the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, y'all help me, feed my sheep. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, O oh God, for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died in our place. We thank you, God, for the Holy Ghost who will help us both preach and receive what you want to say to us today. Now, Lord, I ask you to help me as I preach and put on display that you really can. You can use Peter. You can use Terry. You can use John. You can use Sarah. You can use whoever you want to use, wherever you want to use them, and however you determine to use them to bring you glory. And I thank you for that. I pray that with confidence because you've done it so many times before. And, Father, I thank you that even though I'm weak and beggarly and less than ordinary, I know that you're going to use me again today because it's your will to build your kingdom here. Now, Lord, also, would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? From the youngest to the oldest, from that most educated to the least, tune our ears to your voice. May we be sitting in our chair, and it be as if nobody's in the room except you, and like a loving father looking into the face of their child, speaking life, would you teach us today? And we ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus, and all the people of God said together, amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the title of our message today is, Failure Does Not Have to Be Final. Failure does not have to be final. Now, I need to ask a few questions to warm you up a little bit this morning. That okay? Y'all aren't looking too warm with me now. Uh, the early worship was looking a little more warm, so I'm hoping you're going to come on and get involved, right? If you're our guest today, you'll find out that this is not the way God's wired me to stand up here, stand still behind that pulpit and lecture you about something. But instead, to move around, look you in the face, and us interact with each other, okay? Facial expressions interact. You can nod. You can raise your eyebrow. We smile every once in a while. We grimace some, right? Because some of the words really painful when it touches certain areas of our life. We say amen if we feel led of God. And so we're going to participate in this journey together, all right? Now, first question is simply this. How many of you in this room, from the oldest to the youngest, have ever failed at something? Anybody ever feel this? All right, now hold on, hold on, hold on. One more time, I'm going to ask you. Now put your hands down for a second. Here's what I need to do. There's some people who came in, I need to talk to you, who are our guests who don't really know a lot about Hickory Ridge. You've heard some things, you came to get visit, what have you. And in your mind, when you walked in the door, you were like I was when I would walk in with Riley and his baby carrier, fresh out of the, not too far out of the bar rooms, you know what I'm talking about? And so when you came in, you looked around and you said, man, these people got it all together, they're perfect, and I don't belong here right? And you may not know it because you're not thinking that way, home folk, but the folk who come in, they think that way. How do you know? I was that person. And so you think everybody here's got it all together, and yet I'm going to ask you this question again, and you just watch, okay? The person who came in, they felt like you didn't fit in, felt like you got some stuff in your life nobody else has. Because when I came in the worship center at Country Woods, I came in, and everybody looked like they had their clothes just right, ironed, everything was just right, and their lives were as clean as their outfits, and I felt like I was, you know, remember Pigpen off of uh, Charlie Brown, uh, that cloud of dirt, except it was the, st the stain of sin, you know, from my, how I'd been living my life, and I felt like I did not belong. And so let me show you, let me help this spell that lie. You ready? Here it is. How many of you in the room have ever failed anybody? Raise your hand. You failed something in your life. Now just hold it up. Now look around. See, I told you. You thought you didn't fit in. We've all failed at something in our lives, okay? Now, as I just progress with this train of thought, we all can say we failed at something. My question for you, and you don't answer this except on the inside. How did it make you feel? Wasn't it wonderful? Don't you hope you can fail again this week? Anybody woke up this morning and said, you know, I think I'll have some breakfast and maybe I can fail you know, at, at, at driving, have a wreck, you know, it's failing. Uh, uh, you, you follow with me? No, we don't do that. Matter of fact, you don't even have to be born again not to have the desire in you not to fail. Matter of fact, it's a little bit sometimes prideful, isn't it, uh, that we never want to fail. And so when we do fail, if we're not humble, then we let failure become final. 
and will back away from some things, right? So now let me just kind of go forward a little bit. How many of you have ever uh, failed your company or your boss in your life? Raise your hand if you've failed to perform. Okay, all right. How many have ever failed your teachers before? Teachers have some, <laughs> oh, man, that, that's fastest I've ever seen hands raised in here. And so teachers, I'm praying for you. <laughs> you see all those hands raised? So we failed. How many of you say that you have, you ready for this, uh, failed your spouse? In the, in the room. And I, I raised my hand 14 in the early service, and I told him, I said, I'm raising my hand 14 uh, in this service because I, I have failed her for sure, right? And what I want you to think about in this context, we failed each other and our spouses and failed us. How many have ever failed a, a best friend? You failed them. How about this question, right? Let me just sort of spin it. How many of you have been failed? Now, don't raise your hand on this one. Keep it on the inside. How many of you have ever been failed by your spouse? Or... Maybe I could go a little more generic to not, to not draw attention. Maybe I'll say it this way. How many of you have ever been failed by someone who's close to you? Raise your hand if that's ever happened, whether it be a spouse, family member, mom, dad. Okay. So it's safe to say that we've all failed at things, and we have all been failed. Does that make, is that, can, we, can we go there this morning? All right. So now then, my question is, how do we keep failure in the Christian life from being that which is final and paralyzing us and causing us to take a seat with our mouth shut and just not being very effective for the glory of God? And I want to answer that question for you this morning from John chapter 21, okay? So here we go. I've got two sections to our message this morning. So there's going to be a Roman number one and a Roman number two. Now, that seems like it's going to be a short message, and it may be. Who knows? Right? Miracles happen. Uh, number one is going to have a list of four. So just so you know, some, some people, sometimes they visit and they say, why do you say all that? I said, man, we got folk in here that bring their pens, color-coded. They write some of it with this color, some with that color. And that's wonderful, man. It helps them keep it in, 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 in line. And so we don't like that, man. Go for it. So Roman number one, you know, so I want you to write this down, okay? We're talking about the fact that failure does not have to be final. It doesn't have to be the whole story. It can be just a chapter instead of being the rest of the story. It doesn't have to be paralyzing. It can actually be beneficial. How about that? And so this morning, we're going to dive into that Failure does not have to be final. Now, before we get to Roman number one, I need to set some background this morning, all right? And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to, this isn't going to be a number. This is just a statement. You can write it in your notes if you'd like to. Here it is. I'm going to give you an example from Peter's life of trying harder to be better, okay? So right now, I'm going to give you an example from the Scripture of someone trying harder to be better. You see it on the overhead? Trying harder. No, next. Trying harder to be better, all right? Now, as that stays up there for a minute, leave that trying harder up there for me for just a second. As you see that visual, my question for you is, have you ever tried harder to be better? Has anybody in here ever tried harder to be a better husband? Raise your hand if you've tried hard. I just got to be a better husband, right? All right? Uh, anybody in here tried harder to be a better wife? Raise your hand if you've tried harder to be better. Okay. Have you ever tried harder to be a better child for your parents? You've tried to be a better child, all right? Try to be a better student. Anybody ever try to be a better student? Come on now. We had a bunch of hands failing students. Oh, y'all got to raise your hand up now. Right, teachers, I'm praying for you. All right, so as we, as we think about life, we've tried harder to be better. And when we do that in our own strength, you know what ends up happening? Uh, we fail. But let's talk first about the attitude. Here it is, Matthew 21, 26, write it in your notes, Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. This is Peter trying to be better in his own strength. You ready? What's happened? Jesus says to them, to who? To the disciples. All of you, y'all reading with me? All of you, which ones of them? will be made to stumble because of me this very night. That's what Jesus said. This is the night he's arrested. He said, because it's already been written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. All right? So Jesus makes an emphatic statement. All right? I am going to be struck. 
you are going to be scattered. Look at y'all. Well, y'all track it with me. I'm going to be struck. Jesus said, you're going to be scattered. All right, now remember who it is that's talking. He's the God man. Uh, there's never been anybody like him. Anybody tracking with me? Uh, there's one. He is God, but he's also man. Now, these guys that left their families to follow him don't have that completely figured out yet. Matter of fact, a lot of us in this room don't quite have that figured out yet. They got the man part. They knew what a man was. They were not confused about what a male or female is because God's made them two, male and female. And by definition of a biological male, that is exactly who Peter and the rest of the disciples were. Y'all tracking with me? And so they, and Jesus was. So they knew he was a male. But what they couldn't get their mind wrapped around is that he also was God. So from time to time, Jesus would do a sign or a miracle, uh, walk on water. Demons would come bow down at his feet. He'd make mud with spit and heal a blind man. He did all kinds of crazy stuff that nobody had ever done before. And he was giving them little signs that he was not just any ordinary man, but he also was God. Now, who's speaking in this passage? Jesus. He's both man and But I'm telling you, they didn't know it yet. Why? Because they're fixing to argue with him. Let me make this statement. This is just a little side note. If you and I find ourselves arguing with God and his word, we've not yet determined that he really is God. So they're going back and forth. Peter, here's what Peter says. So they, he says, all of you are going to be made to stumble, and I'm going to go, but, but I'm still going to go ahead to Galilee, and it's going to, we're going to meet there, and things are going to be great. Well, Peter speaks up, trying to be better. I don't want to be that. I want to be this. I want to try harder. I want to serve you well, Jesus. I want to be different. I don't want to be the average. I want to be excellent. So here's what he says. Peter answered and said from the attitude of trying harder, even if all are made to stumble because of you. Y'all tracking with me? I will, here's a dangerous word, I will never. Now let me pause right there before I finish the verse. Have you ever used that word before? Have you ever, is there anything in your life you can smile about now? that you find yourself doing that you said you would never do? Some of those things are funny. Like, there are things that my mom would say, and I'll say them sometimes, and I, thought, I said I would never do that, and here I am doing it. But there are other things that are not so funny. For instance, when I was in college, I'd find myself at night, I'd be drunk, I'd put all kind of intoxication into my body with alcohol, and I remember growing up in a home struggling with alcohol and those kinds of things, and I said growing up from as early as I can remember, four or five years old, I will Never do that. And then I found myself with my head in my hands many night wondering how in the world I had started to do what I said I would never do. And so he said, Peter said, trying harder, I will never be stumbled. I will never be scattered. Now, who was it that told him he was going to stumble and scatter? God said it. Now, let me just tell you something. When God says it, you can go to the bank with it, all right? Don't argue with him. Just trust him. And instead, Peter said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Let's read a little further. So Peter answered Jesus. He said, even if everybody else, and notice the pride in that, the rest of these cats might, but not me. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try hard to be better. And so he goes on to say, because of, he says, because of, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus, notice the grace and mercy of Jesus. I probably would have sent a lightning bolt and burnt a tree up beside Peter. Y'all are looking at me like, what? Yeah, man, I'm crazy. I would have burnt that thing down. So now look who you're talking to, son. I just burnt that tree down. Now what are you going to say back? But he didn't do that. Jesus, full of compassion and mercy, isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful he didn't call him a name? He didn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. You're an idiot. Um, he just keeps conversing with it. I, I just love looking to the Scripture, finding the nature of my Savior. 
He's willing to deal with me. Aren't you, one, aren't you glad he's willing to deal with me and you instead of tossing us in the trash the first moment uh, that we challenge his authority? And so he, he says, I'm not going to do that. And Jesus said back to him, didn't call him a name, didn't call him an idiot. He just says, listen, I'm telling you, assuredly, I say to you, this night, not only are you going to do it once, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Jesus said, I'm already in the future. How are you going to tell me what you're going to do? You're not just going to do it once. I've seen it. I've already been there. See, he's in the eternal now. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. And he says to Peter, oh, I've already been there. You, yeah, you're not going to just do it once. You're going to do it three times. And Peter, because he's full of humility, except not, says back to Jesus, can you imagine arguing with God? Sure you can. You've done it. And I've done it. And so he argues back with him. Peter said back to Jesus, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. I'm going to try so hard. I mean it. My emotions are stirred. I feel conviction. I'm, I've got this conscience. I, will, I love you. I've left everything to follow you. I will not. There's no way. I'm going to try so hard. It can't happen. And Jesus said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right? So, that little, little background, trying harder to be better. Here's what it is. Promises made. Leads to promises made. I'm going to try hard. I promise. I'm going to do this single life to the glory of God. I'm not going to have sex outside marriage. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to make promises, and that's what trying harder will get you, all right? But now let me say the end result. Okay, now we're going to call this a little quick section, uh, the end result of trying harder, okay? By the way, how many of you here have tried harder to be better? How did, did you get better out of it? Oh, man, here we go. So the end result of trying harder is Luke 22, 61 and 62. Write in your notes. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Do you see that? The end result of trying harder. What's happened? Jesus has been arrested. Uh, Peter and the disciples have followed closely behind, and they get to the place, and some of them say to Peter, uh, you, I recognize you. You were that guy that was with Jesus. And Peter says, time number one, no, it wasn't me. You must be mistaken. It happens a second time. Peter gets a little bit louder in his, in his defense that he has not been with Jesus, right? Finally, the third one comes to him, and the Scripture says that he vehemently denies it. And you know what that word means? That word means, well, let me give you a word picture. This will help you understand it better. You ever have a, a child throw a little fit on the cereal aisle? You, you never had that happen? Some of y'all are like, no, absolutely. And so they want pops, and you're not going to buy pops because they're $13.95 for four ounces bag, and, and they want it, and boy, they'll have a fit, and that's what Peter did. Peter had an absolute fit. The Scripture vehemently means he, he literally got physical in his defense, waving his arms, raising his voice. I don't even know who you're talking about. And in that moment, the Scripture says, the Lord, I, I love the, I want you to see the picture because they're close in proximity as it's happening. They're close to one another. And as Peter is denying for the third time the rooster crows, and the Scripture says, and the Lord, y'all reading with me? And the Lord, is it up there yet? Okay, read. And the Lord turned. So, in fact, as Peter is denying, Jesus is looking this way, but on the third and final denial, he turns, and they see each other eye to eye. And Peter's response, because this is what we feel like when we try hard. I don't believe in my heart that, that Peter intended to fail. I don't believe in my heart that when you try harder, that you're trying harder so that you'll fail. I don't believe that. I believe he was trying harder because he wanted to succeed. He just failed to realize where his power source had to come from. So when this, the Lord turns and looks at Peter, they're looking at each other one eye to eye, the Scripture says, 
As he looked at him, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Can you see him as the, as the, the Savior turns and looks at him and they look at each other eye to eye? And Peter says, oh, yeah. That just happened exactly the way you said it was going to happen. And I just did the thing I said I would, I would never do. And I didn't just do it once. I did it three times. And I just didn't do it behind closed doors. I did it publicly. And so he just failed miserably. And what does the Scripture say? What happens next is he remembers that Jesus said before the rooster crazy, he died three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. And I believe with all my heart, when I got up early this morning, I was beginning to pray for our time together. I believe there's some in here who, when doors are closed and nobody's around, you're weeping bitterly because you've been trying harder for so long and you cannot find victory and you are so tired and worn out from failing that the tears flow when nobody's looking and life has got you. You're in a prison. Listen, you've been paralyzed. When you look at your life, you say, I'm not living out the Christian life. I'm not fulfilling my end of the deal. And you feel like such an utter failure. And I've got good news for you today. So, the background, trying harder, promise is made. The end result of trying harder, promise is broken. Now let's dive into John 21. You've got some background on the man who now is meeting with Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Y'all with me? So let's look at what happens. Roman number one, somebody said, man, we just got started. We've been here 20 minutes. That's all right. We're warmed up now. We're getting warmed up, right? We're almost warmed up. Another cup of coffee and y'all going to be just right. Why? Here's the, number one is going to be a question. Roman number one is a question. Here's the question. Why? Does failure not have to be final? I mean, after all, we've messed up. After all, we said we wouldn't do it. After all, we had an end of the bargain to carry out, right? This covenant relationship with the Lord. I've, I've got my, my part to do, right? He did this for me, and I'm supposed to do this for him. And so why would you tell me that failure does not have to be final? I'm going to give you four answers. You ready? Get your writing pen out and get it, get it, get it warmed up. Here we go. Number one. Why does failure not have to be final? Number one, this is going to be cover verses 1 to 14, but number one is going to cover verse 4, okay? So read with me in verse number 4. But when the morning had now come, they've been fishing all night. Uh, they're waiting for Jesus to go to meet them in Galilee in the coming of the Holy, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And, and the Scripture says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know yet that it was Jesus. Number one, in your notes there, I want you to write, why does failure not have to be final? Number one, because in failure, Jesus pursues us. Jesus pursues us. In the many failures of my life, can I just tell you, I did not find myself looking for Jesus. But I want to just tell you, if I could, from the front of the room, that I am so thankful that he came looking for me. And so of all the places on planet Earth that Jesus could have been that day, he came to the place where a whole bunch of failures were in a boat together. <laughs> And you say, wait a minute, it was just Peter who failed. Now, remember, all the disciples said the same thing. They said, now, we will, the Scripture said, and the rest of the disciples said the same. So they all scattered, just like Jesus said they would. They all failed miserably, not just Peter. And now they are all gathered in one spot fishing, and of all the places on planet Earth that Jesus would go, he went to the place where the failures were. Aren't you thankful today that the Savior that we serve, the Savior of the world, is one who pursues failures? People who have messed up, people who have made a horrible decision, people who have caused damage, people who have dishonored his name, people who have lived for themselves, people like me and people like you, and he shows up on the shore right where we are in life. Aren't you thankful uh, that he's willing to come after me and you? I'm telling you, I'm so excited today that he comes in pursuit of the failure. Now, my question, our statement I want to make to you is that he has not abandoned us in our failure, so then we should not abandon him. 
They said, what are you talking about, preacher? Oh, well, here's what happens. Generally, what happens is when we fail somebody, we generally have a tendency of doing what? Avoiding them. When you fail someone, when you do someone wrong, chances are, unless you're matured in your faith and you're walking in humility, the chances are the easiest thing to do is to avoid them. Try not to be around them if you've done something to them, right? And so, in, in essence, you've done something to them. And especially, let me turn the, uh, the tide a little bit. What if, what about the person who has wronged you, who has failed you? Uh, is that the people that you want to go hang out with? And if you've got a free Saturday, do you find yourself, if you work a whole lot and you've finally got a free Saturday, and you say, you know what I want to do today? I want to go find that person, now not for the purpose of harming them, but I want to go find that person who's failed me, and I just want to love them. I'm going to take my Saturday that I've got. I've got one Saturday off this month, and I want to go find that person who's done me wrong, and I just want to go, I just want to go cook them breakfast. And I'm not talking about poisoning them. I'm talking about cooking them some good French toast and eggs. I don't know why I said that. I just messed some of y'all up. You're gone. You're, you're going to be thinking about breakfast until I say amen. Now, it's interesting to me that he pursues them. They don't pursue him. He pursues them, okay? So let me ask you a question. Is, is, is it possible in your life that you failed in such a way that it's caused you to abandon him and isolate yourself? You say, no, preacher, I'm here at church. That, that, I mean, that's great. You can go stand out in your car, poor, and it doesn't make you a car. Uh, you, you don't have to be coming here to meet with the Lord to be here. Does that make sense to you? And so I've, I've been to church many times where I was not, no, no point of my journey was meeting with the Lord and hearing from God. It wasn't. And so quite possibly in this room or listening out there today or somebody who has failed recently or failed way long time ago in the past or is in the middle of failure, and because of that, you feel like you can't talk to God. And you feel like you're not worthy to talk to him and you can't pray and, and that you can't draw near to him. And as a matter of fact, it's caused you to stop spending time in the word and you've sort of distanced yourself because you failed. And because of that, you're dying on the vine. You're not getting better, you're getting worse. Are you with me? Those feelings of isolation and depression and anxiety and all those, non, those feelings that come to overwhelm us and to, and to hem us down are because you're feeling distance that is a feeling and not a truth, not a reality. And so what I want you to understand is that, listen, he comes looking for us, so don't abandon him. Just because you failed, don't abandon him. Don't isolate yourself. Draw near to him in your failure, and you'll find a Savior who can help you to the other side. How do you know about that, preacher? Because it has been the story of my life. So then, we know in failure, Jesus pursues us, all right? Number two, I told you there's going to be four of these. Number two, why does failure not have to be final? Number two, because in failure, we can come to him. When he comes for us, we can come to him. Let me explain if I can. Look with me, if you will, in verse number seven and verse number eight. Jesus came to them in verse five, and you hear him from the shoreline saying, children, do you have any food? That would be a strange way to somebody to holler at you from the shoreline, wouldn't it? It should have given them a little indication that it was God calling. <laughs> children, I don't know people, I don't, strangers don't generally call me child. Does anybody call you that? And it would be a little different, wouldn't it? But now here's God because he does call me his child. And he says, children, have you any food? And they say, no. You hear their, you, do you hear little, that one word answer? No. They don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell you that I had not caught any fish. I've been out here all night, and I just want to say, no, I don't have any, nothing to eat. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, what's happening here is they don't recognize Jesus yet, but there has been a time in their life in the past that Jesus has displayed his power in their lives in a fishing scenario like this. And he tells them to cast their net on one side of the boat, and they do like he tells them, and what happens? Anybody remember? 
Same thing that happened here. They caught more fish than they knew what to do with. So when it happened a second time, and by the way, nobody ever did that before. Your uncle can't tell you. Throw your net right there, you'll catch all of it. Who is it that can tell you where the fish are gathered, right? And I don't mean that guy that can take you to that spot because here's what I found. I found guys here on earth that say, I'm an expert crappie fisherman, and I can take you where they are, and I guarantee you, and you get out there, and you don't catch a doggone thing. And I'm reminded, and I tell you, you thought they were God. They're not God. And yet God, when God says cash a note right here, they cast a net, they catch fish. And when they did it the second time, when it happened again, when they throw their net over and that, they start drawing that thing up and it's full of fish, they go, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. This happened one time before, only one time before, and it wasn't Cousin Ed that did that. It was Jesus. And so the disciple that Jesus loved, John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter doesn't wait for anything, throws his coat on, jumps in the water, and they're all going to Jesus. Not just him, not just Peter, but the Scripture says in that next verse, in verse 8, I believe, it says in that little boat, they start rowing. And what are they rowing? They're not rowing away from Jesus. They're rowing to him. And I want to just say something to you about the recognition that he was there, expressed to them, he is unconditional love. What do you mean? Well, here they are, a group of failures, had miserably failed him, and they just recognized that he came to them. That's Jesus on the shore. He came to where the failures are. And they knew because he was there, they could go to him. And I want to say something to you today. Because he's here and because he's been pursuing you and because you've let failure distance you and build up this imaginary wall between you and him, he's here and you can also come to him. And so everybody's headed to Jesus. And by the way, uh, what a great thing to do that today when we leave this place for all of us to be headed toward Jesus. So failure, we can come to him. Un and by the way, let me make this statement. Unconditional love is attractive. Because he loved me and you passed our failures, we ought to want to go to him. And the same ought to be true about his love in us. Number three, I saw you there's four of these, and y'all are listening so fast, we are rocking along, all right? So seven and then to eight, and the other disciples, they come in the boat, verse number nine, all right? This is going to be nine through 11, number three. Because why, did I, why am I telling you failure does not have to be final? Number three, because in failure, Jesus still provides. Think about that for a minute. When I think about the hours of my life when I failed him the most miserably, the most publicly, and I distanced myself from him, let me say that my failure erected a wall. Can anybody track what I'm talking about? I allowed it to push me away from him and not draw me to him. It made me isolate from the church because I felt like everybody else had it all together. And in my failure, I isolated. And when I isolated, it built this wall. And what a terrible place to find yourself in, a prison that has no, no, no closed door. And in the midst of that, I needed to know that I can come to him. But in the midst of that, can I, as I look back, I know he still provided for me every step of the way. I had left him, if you can. And he had not left me. Listen to what he does in verse 9 through 11. And as soon as they had come to land, they're all headed to Jesus. They saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus has got a spread laid out for them. So it wasn't enough that he showed up, where the, that he intentionally pursued the failures and showed up where they were. Anywhere on earth he could have been, he was where the failures were. And it wasn't enough that he called them to himself and they were able to come. They knew they could by his presence being there that they could in fact come to him. They could go to him. But then Jesus has this meal laid out for them and he's providing what they need. At the long night of fishing, you know what you need? You need a little meal of food. And that thing that they needed, Jesus provided. He did not, listen to me, he did not withhold what they needed because of their failure. Can I say to you this morning, he is not withholding from you what you need to live your life, the Zoe life, life eternal, and he did not withhold from you what you need for life today and living abundantly because you and I have certainly felt him. If that were the case, we wouldn't have anything good. Use a little logic. 
If that was true about God, the enemy's lied to you, you and I wouldn't have anything good in our lives, but we do. So he has, in fact, provided. And by the way, I was talking to Lance. I said, you know, Lance, I bet Jesus seasoned that thing perfect. Don't you imagine? He, has some, he knows about some seasoning combinations you and I can't even think about. How, you say, how do you know that, preacher? Oh, he designed the taste buds. He put them in the right place on your tongue. You know they're bunched up in different areas. Did y'all know that? Y'all to research that a little bit. It's pretty interesting. Some for sweet, some for salty, some for bitter, and they make this wonderful combination where food could just, you know, God could have said, I'm just going to make food taste like water. All you need is fuel, and you just want to enjoy it. You'll just go ahead and move on. But he in his wonderful love said, I'm going to help you enjoy it. I'm going to give you flavors and tastes. And, and now they got this fish out there, and he's cooked it for them. And they, have, they just fresh failed him. I mean, betrayed him publicly. He's got him a meal. When's the last time you went and cooked breakfast for somebody who betrayed you and hurt you? You know, you took of your free time and swallowed your pride. And in humility, you blessed them instead of cursed them. Oh, I'm trying to move on. All right. So because in failure, Jesus still provides. Let me make this statement to you. Somebody said, well, I don't need fish in my life. What you need is the grace of God. And when I say to you that where sin abounds, failure, grace superabounds. That's what Paul said. And so let me say to you, he may not always provide baked fish for you because that may not be the need of your hour, but what is always the need of your hour, and mine as well, is grace sufficient for the failure. Aren't you glad that he didn't say, well, you failed too much this time. I don't know how you're going to get out of it, but that he has grace sufficient for us. So Jesus still provides. Number four, listen, we're getting there quickly. You guys are listening so fast you're trying to get out of here early. Why does failure not have to be final? Number one, because in failure, Jesus still pursues us. Number two, because in failure, we can come to him. We don't have to run away from him. We can come to him. Number three, because in failure, Jesus still provides. Hasn't he been good to me and you? Even when we have betrayed him and let him down, he's been so good and gracious and kind to me and you. And then number four, because in failure, Jesus still desires relationship. Now write that down. I'm going to explain it, all right? Jesus still desires relationship. The people that have betrayed you, let's talk about that for a minute. Now, did you know that a, an acquaintance can't betray you? Betrayal, by nature and definition, has to be somebody extremely close to you. Does that make sense? Um, a good friend can't betray you. It has to be a best friend or a spouse or a child or a parent. Okay, y'all tracking with me? Um, now, my question for the group now is we just kind of easing toward the finish line how many in you, in, of us in here have been betrayed by somebody close to you? Raise your hand. You've been betrayed by somebody, and it hurt, man. It stung, and it still stings, and look at how many hands are. And my goodness, almost all of us uh, in this room have raised our hand. And how many of you say that it is not a pleasant thing? You'd agree with me. It's one of the hardest things to get past when somebody betrays you. And most of the time, our very best response, we think we're doing really good if we just avoid the person, right? We think we've got, we're doing pretty good. But I want you to notice that you know, most likely, me and you, uh, when someone betrays us, oh, and let me, let me flip the coin. How many of you have ever betrayed somebody close to you? Oh, wow, just about the same amount of hands. Isn't that interesting about human beings? We can be the problem or we can have a problem, and it all sort of kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? And as this unfolds, betrayal, okay, betrayal, chances are the people who betrayed you and hurt you, you don't want to hang out with. Now, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the Christian thing. I'll go where they are. I'm going to do the Christian thing. I'm going to cook them some fish, okay, but I ain't hanging around to ask how their family's doing. How many of you know you can do the right thing sometimes with the wrong motivation? 
I did my Christian duty. I cooked. I took a meal to them because the preacher said I ought to take a meal to them. I took a meal to them, dropped it off. I cooked them fish, you know, and Jesus, he could have just cooked the fish and left, right? He had other things he could have been doing. Uh, but I want you to notice what he desired was relationship with them. I need you to understand the critical truth. Here it is. What Jesus desires from you is relationship. I don't know why. I don't understand it. I don't want to hang out with me. I don't, we can all be difficult to get along with, but Jesus desires relationship with every single one of us. Let me prove it to you. Oh, wait, even when we have failed, even when we have failed, let's read what happens. So Simon Peter, uh, they, the, Jesus says, bring some of the fish which you've just caught, verse number 10. And I'm going through verse 9 through 11, all right? Uh, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in verse 12 and 13. So Simon Peter went up and dragged the net full of large fish, and Jesus says to him, listen to this in verse 12. First word he says to him, do you read it with me? Jesus said to them, come. Now what you will notice in the New Testament is that Jesus is always saying, come. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come. Any who come to me will not be put to shame. So he's constantly saying, come. You, listen, well, you, you never invite someone to come to a place unless you're there. Now, you might say, go, okay. Matter of fact, the person who's betrayed you, and as you're thinking about them right now, it hurts when you remember what they've done to you. You can't even imagine cooking them breakfast. You sure can't imagine cooking them breakfast and then hanging out with them and enjoying the meal and seeing how their family's doing and and yet that is exactly what Jesus does. He cooks the meal and begins to sit down with them. And here's what happens. He says, come. Now, notice in the Scripture, you'll hear him say, go only once. And it's a reference. There's a reference that Jesus gives about on that day, the day of judgment. And he says, many will come to me on that day, and they'll say, uh, didn't we do this for you, Lord? Didn't we do that for you, Lord? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we all this religious activity? And he'll, instead of saying come, at that point, if a person dies in their sin without Jesus, what he'll say is depart. Now, we don't say depart. We say go. So his invitation for you, me and you today is to come. And his desire is to come. And I don't understand that. Even in our failures, he's saying, come, I want to be the answer for you. Come, I want to have a relationship with you. But if you and I reject his offer of salvation and reconciliation, what he will say to us then is, you chose to go, so you're going to have to go and depart from me into the everlasting lake of fire. And I want you to know today that's not his desire or his will. My goodness, look what he's doing here. He's cooked a meal for the ones who publicly betrayed him. He cooked a meal for those who failed it. I mean, this was the cream of the crop. These were the guys he picked out of everybody else, and he'd invested his life in. And now they failed him, and here he is cooking them a meal, and he says, listen, come. But notice what he says. He didn't say, come, sit over here, and, 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 and he says, come, eat. I want to eat breakfast with you. And I can imagine. Can you imagine sitting at that table knowing you had failed him so miserably? And now you're sitting there on the shoreline, and y'all are maybe sitting on the ground eating a meal together. I don't know. It would have been a little bit weird, wouldn't it? Okay, not for y'all, for me. It'd been a little awkward. Uh, I know me well enough to know I'd have been watching Jesus, like kind of the corner of my eye. Like, is he looking at me? You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I wonder if he's thinking about how, like, I really said I was never going to do it, and I did it. And I wonder if he can look at me in the eyes. I wonder, you, you follow with me? I, I can see me hearing Jesus say, I forgive you, and I love you, but wondering, does he really love me the same? Because how, how can you see yourself doing that, Terry? Because I've been there. 
I've had that question before. Coming out of my Bellhaven, my room in my apartment in Bellhaven across the hall, looking at myself in the mirror, knowing what I had done, and hearing in my head, there's no way God could love me the way that he loved me, and questioning, could I ever be of value to him again? What would I have to do to earn his love again? Boy, I had it all messed up. And here he is saying, come on, let's sit down. I want to fellowship with you, my wonderful betrayers, my wonderful failures. Aren't you glad that he fellowships with failures? Otherwise, we'd all be hopeless, by the way. And so he's eating a meal, and he's, he's doing life. He's having an enjoyable conversation and spending time with them. And so this is now, it says in, in verse 13, he says, come and eat breakfast. And none of them asked him what, who he was because they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus then came. Now, notice this. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to him not, not with the fish. Not only, is he, not only is he sitting with them, he's serving them again. Did you get that? He's, here's some bread. Here, Peter, have a, little, have a little of this fish. And, boy, you're talking about how it must have touched their hearts that not only did he wash their feet and serve them before they betrayed him, but now he's serving them and being their servant after they failed him. Boy, I just, I'll tell you what, there's nobody like Jesus. I'm going to say that again because me and one person got excited in the room about that statement. There is nobody like Jesus. Amen? Nobody loves you like he loves you. Nobody. There's nobody you could do like you've done Jesus and be loved by him like he loves you. I'm telling you, nobody could you abandon. Nobody could you walk away from. Nobody could you isolate from when he's the one you offended and still love you perfectly and, and wonderfully and all the way to the finish line. Nobody like Jesus. Not a soul like him. So because in failure, Jesus still desires relationship. He still wants to spend time with you. He still wants to talk to you. He still wants to hear from you. He still desires for you to be close to him. Listen to me. If there is distance in the relationship, it is not Jesus who's keeping you at arm's length. It's you who are stiff-arming him. And I beg you today, in Jesus' name, lay down your failure and acknowledge who he is. He's the one who takes failure and turns it into something beautiful. Matter of fact, he teaches us through and shapes us in it. I love some of what Cameron said in her testimony. I've gone through some of these things because God has used them to shape me along the way. So as we think about this, I want to just imagine for a, a, a brief moment, the same grace that called you is the same grace that calls you back. Huh? It didn't change. It didn't wear thin. He's not wondering where he's going to go build some more grace. Uh, the well of his grace will never run dry. And the same grace that called you when you gave your life to King Jesus is the same grace that called you back. Somebody today needs to come home and stop letting your failure be an imaginary wall between you and the king. He wants to fellowship with you. I don't understand it either. But he wants to fellowship with you. He wants relationship with you. Oh, I want you to see. He wants to talk to you and listen to you. Let me just sort of conclude, if I can, with Roman numeral two. I told you it's two parts. We just finished the halfway mark. Y'all ready? I'm only, some of y'all like, I'm out of here. This dude ain't funny. I'm just kidding. Number two is going to be quick. All right, Roman numeral two, verses 15 to 17. All right, first we said, why does failure not have to be final? And the answer is Jesus. Now, we answered it four specific ways, but the answer really is just simply Jesus, all right? Number two, restoration is for, now let's just talk for a minute about the why did it, does he reconcile? Why does he chase after us? Why does he restore us? Because here's what we think in America. We think he restores us so we'll feel better. We think he met Peter on the shore so that Peter could be fully happy and whole and holistically, you know, all that old stuff. But that's not it. That's a byproduct. 
The reason he restored him was because of the mission. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. So write this in your notes. Number, Roman numeral two, restoration is for living the mission. Why would God restore you? Because he's not done with you yet. Why would he chase you down and pursue you? Because he's still got things for you to do here before he calls you home. Somebody else's salvation is hanging on the balance. Somebody else's introduction to Jesus. Somebody else's learning what Jesus is like is hanging on whether or not you'll walk out of the prison of your failure and begin to live your life for the glory of God. What could hold you back if it is the blood, in fact, that cleanses you and the spirit, in fact, who, in, who empowers you and the word of God who informs you? I'll tell you, nobody can except yourself. And the ideas of failure that the enemy has lied to me and you about. Look at verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast. So they took some time and they enjoyed this meal together. And then it came to a point where Jesus needed to address something. He needed to address a specific conversation that was had back in Matthew, right? We saw it earlier. Between Peter and himself where Peter said, I will never do that. So now he's done it. And there's, you, you, ever, have, you ever feel like there's like a big elephant in the room that's really not there? Don't you know there was a big pink elephant in the room, even though they were outside? Big enough that it could walk across the top of the Sea of Galilee. And there it is. Somebody's got to address it. Who does? Jesus. He just meets it head on. And he says in verse 15, moving on, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon Peter didn't start the conversation. Jesus did. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, in the Word of God and in the Greek language, there are many words that represent love. Now, in English, we just have love. We say we love brownies. We say we love our parents. We love that. We love dogs. We love trees. We love, we love, love, love. And love just has one little washed-out meaning. But in Greek, it's different. There are different levels of love and different words for love. And the highest form is what you've heard called agape. You've heard people say that, but really it's agapeo. And it is the, if you were imagining a ladder of love, okay, and each rung was a different kind, the top rung on the ladder would be agapeo. It is the love that God has for me and you. Here's what it looks like. It looks like love without any strings attached. Boy, I just wish somebody would get happy about the love of God this morning. It is love without expectation. It's love that says, I love you because. Somebody said, because of what? It's open-ended, just simply because. And it is the love that God has for me. It's the love that sent Jesus down to earth. It's the love that pursued some sinner like me. Agapeo is the highest kind of love. And Jesus says to Peter, do you, agapeo, do you love me on this highest level of love, fully committed with no strings attached, full of lean, just head over heels, all in? Well, can you imagine being Peter in that moment? I mean, how are you going to answer? You're talking to the guy who is both God and man. He was there when you failed. He looked in your eyes when you, in fact, did what you said you'd never do. He was there. And now he's asking you, that, do you love me this highest level? And I know that Peter is wrestling within himself like, I can't say yes because my life does not back up my claim. And so Peter chooses instead to use a low, lower lung level on the ladder, and the word is phileo. You've heard of Philadelphia. Uh, and phileo is a brotherly kind of love. Now, how many of you know that a brother, uh, the brother can, can betray a brother? Yeah. How many of you know that brothers do brothers wrong sometimes? Yeah. And so what he's saying is, I can't say, based on what I've lived, I can't say that I love you the highest level of love, the kind of love you have for me, but I can say that I love you like a brother. I've let you down. I've messed up. And Jesus doesn't say, you're right, you worthless peasant. You only love me this way. That's not what he says. He says, live the mission. Do you see it? Feed my, let's live in the mission. 
Peter's mission was to preach the gospel and feed the sheep and the tend the lambs. That's, that's what his call was, what God gifted him to do. And so he said to him, I need you to live the mission. Let me move on. So there's this conversation. It's not over. Because how many times was it that he denied him? Three. And so three full times he's going to ask him again. Here we go. And, and Jesus says back to his verse 16 to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, do you know which word that Jesus used on the second time? Agapeo. Do you love me in this highest form of love? Now, about now, I'd be a little feeling some deep conviction, wouldn't you? I'm like, Jesus, I thought I just answered that one, and I can't say yes. Then you know he probably felt like, how do I win here? <laughs> I don't know what to say next. And it wasn't about necessarily what he was saying anyway. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, Agape, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, and you know what word Peter used again? Phileo. That's all I got, Jesus. Jesus, listen to what he says. Uh, Jesus says back to him, live the mission. But this way he phrased it how? Tim, my sheep. Live the mission. Verse 17, and he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah. But you know what Jesus does so wonderfully and graciously in this third, in this third question? He comes down the ladder. And he uses the word, can you guess? Phileo. And so he knew that Peter couldn't meet him there. He says, Peter, do you love me up here? And Peter says, you know, I love you here. And then Jesus says, well, live the mission. And he says, do you love me up here? And Peter says, again, you know, I love you here. And Jesus says, live the mission. And finally, a third time, he brings it down. He says, do you, fillet, do you love me? Do you, do you really love me like a, like a brother? And notice what happens with Peter when Jesus comes down the ladder. Are you reading with me? In verse number 17, and he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And Peter, Peter was... Grieved. You know, it's hard sometimes to face the reality of who we are. Let me say that to you again. Sometimes it grieves our hearts, doesn't it, when we see who we really are apart from him. You know, sometimes I have thoughts and, and I do things and I'm like, man, I can't believe that's still in there. can't believe it's still prideful. can't believe it's still selfish. can't believe, but, but, it, but it's in, did you know it's still in there? The nature of Adam is still in there, even when you're born again. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, listen to what he says, you already know. You already knew the best I had to offer. And Jesus said to him, here it is, you ready? Feed my sheep or live the mission. Live the mission. Stop letting your failure. Don't let your failure be a disqualifier. Don't let your ability or lack thereof to be the determining factor of what I have called you to do. You are and you find your identity and your strength and your mission and your power to live it in me, not in you. And if you find it in you, it's trying harder and you'll fail every time. Promise is broken. But if you'll get to know him for who he is, he's the one who takes failure and turns it into messages and testimonies. If you'll not let it be final, but let it be a chapter in the book and not the whole story, you know what Jesus will do? He'll help you live the mission. Your life will matter more than when they put your body in the dirt and put a little headstone on, on the cap there. It'll mean more than just, well, he, you know, he'd like to go fishing and he did this and what have you. But what you did in the little span between the birth and death will have eternal significance. And let me just say something to you. It's the only way to live. So this morning, I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Would you do that? Just for a moment. And I want you to contemplate what it is that we've heard. Failure does not have to be, help me somebody, final. It doesn't have to be final. It does not have to be final. Somebody in this room is letting it be final. It has been final for five years, two years, two weeks, ten years. I don't know. But that failure back there is keeping you from saying yes to what it is that Jesus wants to do in your life. 
So now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I have a question for the group, and that question is this. How many of you would say that failure in some capacity has held you back? Would you slip your hand up in the air? Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, all hands all over the place. Failure in some capacity is holding you back. You feel like you can't share your testimony because you've, you know, what have you, failed in some capacity. You feel like you can't talk about Jesus because you haven't lived a perfect life, so you just keep silent. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if you just get up out of that jail cell because there's no door on it, and in Jesus' name, you laid that guilt and shame down, and you walked out of that prison and began to walk in victory because failure's not final. Now, as I asked that question this morning, let me say to you, somebody says, well, I've been living in failure this week. What do I do about that? I would say to you, if you've been born again, that I would encourage you in this moment to confess it to him. You say, well, do I need to come down to the altar and confess it to you? Heavens, no. I'm not the mediator between God and man. He is Christ Jesus. So just you and just him. And the scripture says for the believer, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just talk to him about it. Confess it to him. God, I agree with you that I failed. I agree with you. This sex outside marriage is failure. I agree with you. I got drunk again this week. God, I agree with you. I've not been leading my family. I'm a man who's just sort of home. I keep the lights on, but that's it. Lord, I have not supported my husband. God, I, I agree with you today that as the single life, I've not been glorifying you. And just confess it. You and him. And know that he loved you the same through it all. And you're not earning anything by confessing, but he's going to forgive and cleanse and you're going to get up today and walk out of that prison of failure that's paralyzed you for so long. And you're about to start walking in your full potential in Jesus. Can you imagine if Peter would have just said, you know what, I did too much. There's no way I could be used. So today, let me just ask this question. How many of you need to just take some time and just confess that failure to him? Let me say the altar's open. Maybe something from last year, maybe something from 20 years ago. But I want to say... The altar's open. I wonder if anybody would be. Now, this is not one generally the altar fills up because the pride will hold us in our chair, I'm telling you. But I wonder if there's somebody in here today that would just get up out of your chair and just say, you know, I just need to go spend a little time at the altar with the Lord and know that he loves me. He's not mad at me and that he will forgive me. And so people coming from all over the place. Matter of fact, people kind of come out of the middle. Will you all stand up for me to make room for those that are coming down to the altar just now? Uh, keep, if you would just continue to pray where you're standing with your head bowed and your eyes closed, people coming from all over the place. Just, just come down and take a little time, you and him. It may be somebody in the room that you have failed with. You may just come take them by the hand and come say, you know what, I've failed you and I've, and I've failed. And you just begin to confess that to the Lord so the times of refreshing and cleansing can come. I'm so glad he's after you. He's been after you. Boy, he's been chasing after you just to lay that failure down. Be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you've never confessed him as Lord, I want to just beg you if I could. Paul said, we plead with all men. I wish today you'd invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Did you know if you'll come to him today? Did you know if you'll believe he died for you and rose again? Do you know he'll forgive your sins? I mean, like they never happened. He'll wipe the slate clean. It'll be as if it never took place. And he'll give you the spirit of God. And he'll give you a hope and a future and a purpose worth living for. All today, Jesus, he's the answer to our failure. Father, I pray today if there's one here among us who does not know you, that right now they would confess you as Lord. And in just a moment, we'd celebrate together. God, I pray for those who are at the altar now. Myself, I would be down there if not in the pulpit. 
God, there are things that I have failed at so terribly. I thank you as we confess those to you, you'll take them and cleanse us and give us strength for the journey. Thank you that you're not mean and prideful. Thank you that you don't turn a cold shoulder to us when we fail. Thank you for coming after us. God, thank you for still wanting to fellowship. I don't understand it. But I want to say thank you for still wanting to eat breakfast with me and spend time with me. And Lord, I pray for the person who when they hear those words, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And their life is so empty and lonely. And I pray today they would come to see Jesus as the Savior of the world, the one who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. And right now, with a faith like a child, they'd get off the throne of their heart and invite Jesus on. God, take this time and please, please have your way in every individual heart. You are so worthy to be praised. So be glorified in what you do. In Jesus' name we pray.